we are continuing our series exploring the question, what does it mean to be and stay church in our time and place? Alongside the Corinthian congregation today, as we move into the book, Second Corinthians. The letter that our Bibles call Second Corinthians has some of the strongest expressions of Paul's theology, particularly around themes of comfort, reconciliation, and a theology of weakness and vulnerability. Like I shared a few weeks ago, when we began our series, I don't typically read Paul unless I have to. I prefer the Gospels. And Jesus, who told stories and worked on relationships over Paul's letters that seem bossy and self-promoting, driven by logical arguments and the need to convince other people that his way of seeing the world was the right way. And for a long time, I viewed Paul as writing from an intellectual perspective, favoring rules and the structure needed to maintain order, and that he had no use for emotions and intuition. But the more time I've spent with Paul's letters, particularly the ones to the Philippians for spiritual formation and to the Corinthians for sermons, the more I realize that Paul feels deeply about the people he writes to. And he has a wholehearted desire for the Spirit of God to be experienced by the congregation he loves and wants to flourish. He wants them to know what it feels like to have an encounter with God, not just know about God. So I've done some growing in my development and study with Paul, as I hope you have too. Because Paul puts his heart and soul into the work of building up the body of Christ in the world, even when that work forces him to confront the truth that being a follower of Jesus means encountering and experiencing suffering. It's always a costly thing to be a Christian. There can be no real Christianity without the cross. Our human condition is to think that, oh, I think maybe we can do without the cross. We can figure out a faith that doesn't include suffering. That we can operate from our own ideas and interests and loyalties, seeking our own advantage and defending our rights. We tend to rely on our own knowledge and logic to get us where we think we need to be. And we can get pretty good about figuring out how to work together, but we're not always good at just being together. Nor are we very good at learning about one another's stories, or at least it doesn't come naturally to us. We need to sit. It's not in our DNA to just sit and talk to share how the power of God is at work in one another's lives, in good and hard times. Because being a follower of Jesus, when we really get down to it, makes a person vulnerable. 
But aren't our vulnerabilities also opportunities for God's strength to come alongside and make real God's presence in the world to us and to those around us? There is power, real power, in sharing stories that make us vulnerable. The stories when it feels like everything we've done is not working. We've tried all the options, A through Z, and it still feels like we are running up against a brick wall. When we tell those stories, that's an opportunity for us to also talk about the faithfulness of Christ and the promise of the Holy Spirit that moves us along with God to the next place, to the next thing. And when we tell stories like that, we're also inviting other people to take part in that story. So this is what I think Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians. He is telling a story that requires the involvement of the whole people of God in Corinth. Because remember, Paul knew these people. He'd spent 18 months, maybe a little longer, at least a year and a half with these folks. And he's been in constant correspondence with them as he travels to other regions and plants churches in other places. He still connects with them every chance he can get paper. Paul recognizes and he wants the congregation to recognize that their diversity of gifts means there are as many roles in this story as there are people, and maybe more. And that God can work to tell this story of community, of covenant, of faithfulness, grace, and love. This congregation has potential. Previously, they've been instructed to recognize themselves as a unique community of diversity, held together in Christ and strengthened by love in action. Yet in this opening letter, Paul writes to a congregation that has encountered suffering and struggle. They are in need of comfort. Other translations for this very rich and complex Greek word parakleo, where we get the paraclete, talks about its help, its healing counsel, its comfort, its consolation, its coming alongside, this sense of what Jesus describes as the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. It's this sense of embodied, alive comfort that brings with it a sense of peace that followers of Jesus experience when they face challenges. As Joyce Faye mentioned, Paul can go on and on and on because this matters to him. We can be wordy. I can get wordy when I get fired up about things. I don't know about you. We tend to forget punctuation or we use commas. I'm a comma queen when I really get going. And so Paul uses the noun or the verb of comfort or to comfort 10 times in five verses, which tells us there's something major that's facing this congregation. It's overwhelming to them. 
And so this is not a situation where a mere, there, there, pat on the shoulder will suffice. No, what these folks are facing calls for the root word of comfort, which comes from the Latin fortis, meaning brave. That's where our word fortify comes from. Comfort as bravery. Paul expresses the comfort that brings courage and bravery and strength to fortify the believers in whatever reality they are facing. So this comfort is way more than just soothing sympathy and, gosh, that seems hard. It's way more than that. So with an understanding of comfort as a call to be brave and courageous, how does the story sound if it's told about a congregation facing stress and pressure to maintain and strengthen an identity rooted in the love of Christ? How does the story sound when we understand that God enables the congregation to be brave and face whatever affliction is before them so that their bravery inspires other people's bravery and courageousness because these folks know that suffering and courage are just the components that make possible peace, the peace that Jesus promises is already on the way. The peace of Jesus comes alongside as people embody Christian comfort, bringing courage and enabling people not to be crushed and give in to despair by the suffering and struggles of life. And if that was going on in the first century, good heavens, we're in the 21st now, and we need some words of comfort and some people who know that comfort means being brave and holding fast to the truth and the peace of Christ. Our world needs that more than ever. This is the kind of peace in bravery and courage that enabled a person to write what our choir just sang. I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when God is silent. I believe in every trial, there is always a way. That writer knew peace would not save them from persecution and the unspeakable suffering that the Holocaust brought. But nevertheless, they wrote as an expression of bravery and courage of the divine within the human spirit. This is the peace of courage and bravery that comes alongside us to help us be vulnerable and trust God's strength to carry us in weakness. To cry out, help, I need somebody. Help me get my feet back on the ground. I can't do this alone like I used to. This is the peace that sidles up next to us, puts its arm around us and said, you can be sure of me. We will walk this way together.
That's what Paul does. He gets vulnerable. He gets brave. He writes about feeling crushed and wondering if he'd make it out alive of whatever situation he was facing when he wrote this letter. But he doesn't make the story all about himself or his faithfulness. He tells the story to the Corinthians to build up their courage to be vulnerable and brave because they were praying for him. And God was made real to Paul through their prayers and their sufferings. Fellow believers believing and struggling to stay true to Christ. One of the things I love about this passage is Paul's practice, the modern day practice of myth busting, the claim that following Jesus should feel good, should be easy, should grant us prosperity and never make us feel uncomfortable or vulnerable or fearful or fail. Because the truth is that following Jesus seriously usually feels very uncomfortable. But because it's in the service of something greater than our own ego and sense of comfort. Following Jesus seriously means trusting God is right beside us in all things, working for the good as we continue to take one step in faith and then another and then another. Following Jesus does not mean we won't ever be afraid. It does not mean we won't ever fail. But it does mean we are never alone and that God has shown over and over again that human failure is one of God's greatest ways of revealing grace and forgiveness and the courage to try again. It's really interesting how reluctant many of us Christians are to tell stories that show us to be dependent or needy. We prefer stories about Lone Ranger heroes that just ride into town and save the day single-handedly. That's a blockbuster story. We want to tell stories that show we are just fine and we are in control of the situation and we can say, and we all lived happily ever after. Excellent. But you know, I've learned that if we do that, if I do that, I'm not telling a story in which you have a part. When we do that, we only will tell stories where we don't need anyone else to have a part. And that's not the story that Christ tells. When we tell stories where we are our own heroes, we separate ourselves from the stories of others and the transformations that happen when we really listen, really listen to the experiences of another person. That can be painful because you risk being changed by what you hear. Because you might hear that you have a role in their story and they have a role in yours which means your story will change. 
But on the other side of that pain and that change, that uncertainty, when we let go of being our own hero, there's the promise of an advocate, a comforter, a healer, an encourager that comes when we really listen to one another. When we commit to being in community that the way Wendell Berry describes from our opening quotes. And remember all that Jesus taught and promised, which Paul tried to practice and pass on to whatever congregation he wrote to and loved. So let's listen again to this story of community that Jesus tells, woven together from a 19th, 1900s, 20th century poet, a modern day prophet, as well as a first century church planter. Listen for your part in this story and ask for the power to make it come alive in you and in your neighbors sitting next to you, across from you, all around you, and those in this wider community. Hear again this story of being brave together. Community, I am beginning to understand, is made through a skill I have never learned or valued. The ability to pass time with people you do not and will not know well. Talking about nothing in particular, with no end in mind, just to build trust, just to be sure of each other, just to be neighborly. A community is not something you have, like a camcorder or a breakfast nook. No, it's something you do and you have to do it all the time. So peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Even if we are being afflicted, it is for your courage, your bravery, your salvation. If we are being brave, it is in response to your bravery, which you experience when you endure the same sufferings that we are suffering. So, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Let them be brave. Amen.